and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. And you can see, uh, for those of you watching this on video, um, right out on a deck over the ocean, right where uh, Mark, right in the area where Mark D'Antonio used to spend time as a child, um, up here on the coast of Maine. I'll be bringing him in in just a minute. So this is sort of a, a last minute special type show. The show I had earlier this week did not go well. I did not uh, put it out uh, there. So this is a one hour show. I, I like to do a show every week. And uh, so I contacted my good friend, Mark D'Antonio, and said, hey, what about doing a show in a couple of hours? And he said, fine, about what? I don't know. Let's just talk. So we are going to touch on, or at least I'll try to, there's really not a whole lot to say, but we'll touch on the uh, congressional uh, public hearing uh, that's going to happen next Tuesday. Maybe I'll know a lot more about it on Tuesday after it happens. You're trying to find information about it. It's not real easy. So I want to thank everyone out there that listens to the show. I want to thank all the supporters and anyone can do that. The uh, support link is right on our website, podcastufo.com. And let me announce the uh, Charles Lear did the uh, Virginia uh, blog the week before. So he did, he got interested in this whole thing that's been happening down in Brazil. So he wrote this one. Uh, it's violent UFO encounters in Brazil. And it's a fascinating one. I, I am familiar with this one. I had heard about it um, years ago, never really looked really deeply into it, but it, it's, it's a good one. And by the way, Charles Lear has, who's been writing these blogs all, all these years has written a book and it's going to be published on June 1st. So he's going to be a guest in mid June sometime. And before I forget next week, we have uh, Sean Cahill from the uh, Princeton. Um, he was the chief at arms uh, and overseeing that whole Tic Tac UFO uh, incident. He'll be on next week. Well, I did reach out to Lou Elizondo today to see if perhaps he could be um, on the show for just a couple of minutes and talk about what he thought about the UAP uh, going live hearing going live next week. And he's in Washington, DC. He was not available today and that's unfortunate, but next best thing. We got Mark D'Antonio. <laughs> How are you, Mark? Next best thing. <laughs> all right. The best thing. Yeah. Oh no, no, you're, yeah. you're right. Yeah. We, we all make our, we all, um, have our place, right? So, uh, it's, it's cool. That's right. Well, it's nice to see you, Martin. And I, I see you're up there in Tenants Harbor. I am. Yep, yeah. and uh, we were talking uh, yeah. off air how I know it's really it's probably going to drive people crazy, but nah, there won't. is a main accent, and they do talk a lot like this, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. They do. And uh, here's yep. here's yep. my main hat right here. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, so. yeah. I used to go lobstering off that coast there, and you uh, did spend a lot yep. of time out there in the ocean with the boats and. Hanging out there and getting seasick because I'm a land lover, not uh, yeah. Uh, I didn't well, you know, that's a lot. I got a dock this year for my boat, and I just found out that the boat yard has Wi Fi, so you know what that means, don't you? You're gonna be on your boat doing, doing your, the show doing your shows. <laughs> again. Last year was a disaster because the Wi Fi was a hot spot on my phone and it ate up data really quick and went dead in the middle. <laughs> in the middle of a show oh. and yeah it was interesting but yeah should be a great summer up here um it's really beautiful right now and yeah. uh i love it up here on the coast anywhere yeah, on the coast is good is it yeah. long sleeve even long sleeves or short sleeves 
Uh, I'm in long sleeves, but it okay. was uh, it was actually hot out here on the deck today. Yeah, I believe it. I believe yeah. it. Yeah, it's um it's about uh, 75 here today. Actually, it's uh, yeah, a nice spring day. That's so, right. And yeah. so I want to talk about a whole bunch of things. I know uh, I've watched sure. a couple of your streams that you do your sky watches out in Arizona remotely, yeah. which is fantastic. But uh, for right now, I don't know if you had a chance to read, but you know there there is. Uh, let me pull this up. There is a um, uh, a report uh, that is, I mean, a hearing that is going to be public, which is coming up on Tuesday. You know, and there's not probably not really a lot to know right now. Uh, you know, and I really have to caution people. This is probably uh, going to be disappointing to a lot of people out there that are thinking, "Wow, you know, we're going to be talking, we're going to hear be hearing about aliens and." you know, the encounters are from another planet or something like that. And I'm, I think that um, they're probably more or less going to focus on in this public hearing, you know, what are the safety, um, you know, what are the safety issues that these things may be causing first? I think that's probably what they're going to get in there. And uh, here's a, uh, this is a quote I'm just going to read right here. The federal government and intelligence community have a critical role to play in contextualizing and analyzing reports, said Representative Adam Schiff of California, a Democrat who is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. He said the purpose of the hearing was to illuminate one of the great mysteries of our time and break the cycle of excessive secrecy and speculation with truth and transparency. Uh, I think that's a pretty good uh, statement right there. And you know what, what, what this will, the openness, if there is indeed openness, you know, the, it's better for them because it's going to eliminate a lot of the conspiracy theories and, you know, that aliens are bottled in the basement of the Pentagon or something, you know? <laughs> well, um, I, uh, never put much credence in the fact that the aliens were being penned in down in the you know, Pentagon or any black site whatsoever. I don't, I yeah. don't think that, I think those are all stories born out of um, fantasy, if you will. I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, and I can't say for sure, but the odds are really, really stacked against it. Right. But yeah. let's be clear. Um, I'm an astronomer. I believe that life exists out there, and I actually think it may have made its way here. So is it illogical to think that they wouldn't be here, wouldn't be um, in our space, occupying our space? No, it's not illogical. But we do have to use the rigorous application of science in order to find it. Because let's be honest, it's the rigorous application of science that makes any of the great strides on the planet, right? Um, I mean... It is true. You can't think your way um, and, and, and summon aliens and, and just expect them to you know, have a kumbaya moment with you just because you think it's so. I mean, we need to do more than that. And, you know, whether that process works or not, it isn't a process that at this point in our science and our understanding is an acceptable manner uh, to prove the existence or the intelligence that might be among us. So, um, yes, whereas I like science and I, I adhere to it, um, I am open to the other things. But, again, if they're really far-reaching, uh, then, you know, I, I don't know what that means. I've seen so many CE5 uh, 
um, sessions where uh, people are marveling over satellites that are tumbling and they're blinking and they shine a laser and think that they're shining back at them. Yes. Yet I take pictures yeah. of these things and show them a dashed line on my camera going across the sky. It's a tumbling satellite. Have you actually gone to one of those and, and did this? Yeah, actually, I, I yeah. There's one yeah. I uh, my my friend Donna was at one and was telling me basically the same thing. And then um, one of the nights she went, it was foggy and rainy, and they said the invisible uh, craft had landed in the yard. <laughs> so <laughs> what well, are you going to say about that? People that are paying big money to see these things, right? I yeah. mean, see, so here's where I get, here's where I really, really have a problem, okay? If it's a protocol that works, um, then it should be for all humanity. It shouldn't be for only those who can afford it. Yeah. Okay. And so mm -hmm. I get really bent out of shape when charlatans come along and claim that they're the conduit through which these beings talk. Billy Meyer, for instance. Yeah, that's baloney. Billy Meyer is a faker and a liar. Okay. Sorry, but that's true. That's well, there's I so much it. evidence for that. Um, Mark is not just throwing this out there. There is tons of evidence um, of course, that, of that he I has faked I don't many, many do. things. I don't make flipping statements, you know, but I will say. That, um, you know, for the CE5 protocols, I've watched charlatans calling in UFOs that were actually flares off the coast, proven wow. flares. And everybody left thinking, wow, that was a good, I spent $2,000 and I got my money's worth. No, you Do didn't. you mean, are you, Mark, are you trying to tell me that someone set off the flares purposely, like, in concert with this situation? No one knows for sure. I just yeah. know that in this particular location, there was a flare exercise going on off the coast. And it was kind of coincidental that they were also doing the CE5, knowing, maybe knowing, that the flares were going to go off. And thus, those flares would become the object of attention. Let's be clear. Hmm. You know, if you ever saw one, I've seen flare drops, many of them. Okay, right over my head, actually. Um, fighters from Luke Air Force Base were flying over my head when I was in the Arizona desert and dropping flares right over my head. You know, and they are an unearthly orange. They look really, really unbelievably unreal. This looks surreal. And, yeah. and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful color. It's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful glow. Uh, and I can understand why people would, would feel that way. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I do know that this particular one that was done off Florida, that was a well-known documented flare drop and, and it ended up becoming uh, you know, absconded with as a CE5 success. And I yeah. thought that was a blatant lie and the worst thing they could do to people. So right. we get people like that all the time, right? That, that try to, you know, play off things that may not be true. So this is why people need to remain skeptical. They need to remain skeptical. Yeah. And that's why, you know, knowing your facts, knowing your science can help you. Um, you well, know, I will. I will talk a little bit. You and I had talked briefly. Um, why you're here? One of the reasons you're here is because I decided I made um, a, a tough choice um, and decided to not post the podcast that I had earlier um, on Tuesday. Now I'm uh, been in touch with both people, uh, Preston Dennett. I really, uh, yeah. I almost consider him a friend. I mean, he's a very, very nice guy, um, and uh, so we're we're good. Um, but his guest that was with him was making outrageous claims. And uh, when they got to the point where I thought they were a little bit dangerous, 
then I decided to end the show early and I decided to eliminate the show. And so anyway, uh, I'm not going to get into the details too much, but it just uh, uh, is just, you know, right off the bat, one of the first things she said was she was basically piloting the UFOs and going through the rings of Saturn and, you know, all these type of things. And, you know, I, I stopped her and said, uh, you realize what you're saying here and how, you know, how do you expect a listener to believe that? Well, you know, I did get some email from people that were very upset that I took it down, that were listening, um, that were, you know, involved in the whole situation. Someone kind of has told me that I have something against experiencers and what's wrong with me, almost like pulling a card on me. So it has nothing to do with that. I just, if you have to be skeptical, I like right. to keep this show clean as much as I can. Mark, and uh, it's very simple. It, it, it really comes down to this. People make these extraordinary claims, but they don't provide the necessary extraordinary proof. Yeah. Um, and when people say, trust me, all right, or when people say, you know, no, honestly, okay, those are preparatory words for something that's to come. And they're they're trying to possibly, you know, pull something off on you, not even if they, they may not even realize it. There are people that actually do believe that they do these things. And so they would pass a polygraph. I've taken a number exactly. of polygraphs in my life for my work. And I can tell you they're not hard to, I mean, they're they're hard to uh to to uh they're hard to fake. They're hard to to uh pass with flying colors if you try to lie. Um so I know that it can be done. People have done it, right? But I can tell you that, um, you know, listening to someone say those things, the next thing you want to say is fantastic. Uh, that sounds fantastic. Let me see the proof. Let me see the videos on your ship. Uh, let me meet the aliens. Uh, who are they? And let's yeah. talk to them. I more oh, or less said something. Yeah. I more or less said something along those lines um, when she was, she said, well, I have science to back this up. And I said, I stopped her right there. I said, well, let's hear about the science. And yeah, she shifted and shifted in her seat. And she said, well, this guy's not actually a scientist, uh -huh. but he's got a YouTube channel. And uh -huh. that was kind of, uh, that was kind of enough, you know, yeah. enough. Uh, anyway, that. that that goes to whenever someone says their proof is a YouTube video. Yeah. That becomes problematic. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I said that I have said that many times. Not that every, on not, this. not that not that every YouTube video is a lie because they're not. Yeah, that's okay? right. There are some YouTube videos that that tell wonderful truths, scientific accuracy, uh, not so scientific but accurate. And so, um, you know, you you just have to, well, you have to do what's missing with a lot of people these days, and that's critically think. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you really have to be aware of. You have to ask questions. Yeah, and when it comes to YouTube videos, you know, you're. It's so tough because there are such good fakes out there too, and yeah. you know, I mean, the CGI is only going to get only going to get better. Some yeah. of, uh, I'm, if you want to ask questions, please uh, post them uh, like this gentleman did right here. Uh, I don't know if Mark would like to comment on this or not. What's your opinion on uh, on uh, Bledsoe, Chris Bledsoe? 
Yeah, I don't actually have an opinion on blood, so I have uh, stayed a little bit away from that because mm-hmm. uh, I want to remain focused on the science of image uh, analysis and video analysis, and I haven't done anything with Bledsoe for Bledsoe and have no opinion on on Chris Bledsoe at the moment, but uh, that may change. Yeah. Now, uh, Mark, I sent you a picture the other day day did you happen to do you know that picture and are you familiar with that picture yeah was that the one from is it costa rica or i believe i believe it's costa rica somewhere in south america there was a yep. yeah yep. um and, and i'm gonna a, pull that up here and uh so people will understand yeah, what we're yeah, talking about idea. here but mm-hmm. you know that's i mean true. i remember seeing this years ago uh yeah. when i first was starting to look into the ufo topic and I wondered about it. I said, that that's just too good to be true. Um, and when something's too good to be true, that's usually what it is. Um, well, so sometimes, yeah, sometimes you're right. And, but you can't, you can't go into anything with, um, with blinders on either, you know, and, and, and just say, this is a UFO. Absolutely. But you also can't say it's not a UFO. Absolutely. You've got to give it a chance, right? Every piece of evidence I see, I don't make a determination by looking at it and just saying, oh, well, just, you know, making a pronouncement. That's ignorance. And that doesn't do it. That does everybody a disservice who's, who's yeah. interested in knowing. There's definitely enough of that out there. Yeah, there's there's plenty of that out there, you know. But, um, um, yeah, if you bring up the picture again. Yeah, I had to convert the file, so I'm just working okay. along as we go well, along. Anyway, um, this photo purports to show a, a disc UFO in a photograph, an aerial photograph. Uh, and um, I can't remember. They were doing aerial photography for. Yes, they were. It was a top. No, it was a topographical. Topographical. Uh, they were looking at a lake, the some type of uh, condition of a lake. Okay. And uh, here it is, right here. And there it is. Um, yep. I will post this for those of you who are <laughs> listening just to just audio. I'll post this in the show notes or somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to have a lot of show notes, but anyway, here it is uh, for those of you seeing this visually. And it's, you know, I mean, it's perfect angle. This is uh, from overhead about 10,000 feet. Now this is zoomed. It appears to be zoomed. But um, so the the plane was flying about 10,000 feet and it was shooting directly down to get the layout of the topographical um, conditions of the lake. And so that disc is, I don't know. I mean, can you, do you see anything in it that makes it look like it was really there? According to what came out is that um, this is directly from an original negative and it had not been toyed with. I don't know. Yeah, if you... I, I, I believe that's the actual thing that it was, you know, without mm-hmm. a doubt. I mean, it, you know, to me, um, I ask all kinds of questions. Uh, could it be what's called a conchoidal fracture in the cover on the camera? Could it be um, some type of uh, oil droplet inside the housing, perhaps? Could it be something else? I mean, you see that uh, to the upper right of, the, of that thing, you actually see this stark black line, right? Um, mm. Oh, yes, I see actually, it. Mm-hmm. Is that actually a um, reflection of the horizon uh, reflected in this object, whatever it is, um, you know. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of questions I have, but none of the questions end with "it's definitely a UFO." No, no, no with a statement that says it's definitely a UFO. Um, 
they all they all just ask more questions. And I've seen this thing many many years ago. It's got to be what twenty five years old or something. I think it was from the I think it was from nineteen seventy five. But don't okay. quote me on that. I'm not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure. What I would like to know is um, from the same camera. I want to see the next frame and the previous exactly camera, previous yeah. frame. You know, so where are those? Um, yeah. And you know, if you look at it really carefully, you can see that it has what looks like a, a distinctive shape. The only problem I have with it is um, if you look if you look at it, uh, there's an issue with it, and that is that. On the right side of it, it's illuminated by what you would call the sun. And if you look on the ground, you can see that the sun is coming from the the lower uh, the the lower right, uh, just you know, below center right, and it's heading to upper left right. Okay, kind of thing. At least that's how it looks. I'm trying to see. It might be, uh, but if you look at the the brightness on the ground, okay, and the shadows of the trees, it kind of shows you where the light's coming from. So you'd expect a shadow on that or, or, or an illuminated side on that on that lower right side. What you would not expect is for it to be illuminated on the upper left side. Hmm. You wouldn't expect that. Uh, that would be in either shadow or much reduced brightness. Um, so I'm not sure uh, you know, what would actually work, in fact, is if that's not a disk you're looking at, but a depression. If that was a depression into, say, the glass or the housing, then maybe this would work. So, but again, the next frame would have it as well as with the previous frame. And I don't think they would spend time doing aerial photography uh, with the camera if it's in a fixed housing that has some kind of damage to it. They would fix that housing. Um, but if the camera was able to move uh, shot to shot in some way, then maybe uh, they would move it over for the next shot. I don't know. But either way, uh, the lighting is wrong on it for the lighting that's on the ground. Well, that makes sense. And as someone that does a little bit of painting, you always have to look at, you know, the direction of the sunlight um, yeah, you know. to make so, the shadowing work. So that, that, that's kind of what leads me. You know, that's where that leads me. In fact, that's where it led me years ago when I looked at it for the first time. Yeah. You no. Know? And I basically had to say, well. Geez, I was hoping it'd be a smoking gun, but you know you can't you can't really say it with any kind of definition that it's the the smoking gun, the you know quintessential UFO photograph because it it just isn't, unfortunately. Yeah, and is there one? <laughs> I think you and I had a conversation um, in Phoenix or somewhere, and I asked you that question. Do you, Mark? Uh, everything you've looked at, have you seen like a smoking gun? photograph and you I said am, there was one that really <laughs> i'm waiting for the smoking gun but yeah. you've seen one good. that was really good i think you said something like that right there was one video that i have yeah you know, one is a little video clip it's three seconds long but it is probably the one which i think is um as close to a smoking gun possibility as any and that's the nick mariana footage uh, and I believe that was Montana in oh yeah, 1953 or something like that. Is that the one near the towers or am I yes. thinking? Yeah. 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 Those that, that is, uh, that is quite, quite amazing. If I well, remember right, isn't there three of them or something two. like that? 
Hmm. There mm-hmm. were two. Imagine this, okay? You're there. He was looking at a stadium. I forget what he was doing. Maybe a sports writer or something. I don't remember the details. Yeah, that's right. There. You remember? I, I think he had. He was. Uh, I think. I thought it was Navy, but maybe it was. There was one that had something to do with sports. Um, okay. Well, yeah. So I, details, I, it, I'm, this could I'm, be the one. I could be messing this up with details, but the one thing I'm not messing up is uh, he filmed this with a movie camera and he managed to get three frames of these two objects moving side by side through the sky. Yeah. Okay. And formation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they went behind uh, towers, uh, light towers, whatever that were in this location. And so when I looked at that, my first thought was, okay, what was flying in the sky at that time? And unless, this is kind of a funny thing, unless we're being lied to, uh, there was nobody in the air at that time. Uh, nothing in that direction at all. Now, could that be wrong? Maybe, right? And you got to reserve the right to think that maybe there's, they were wrong about it. But it was at a time when we didn't have the best uh, radar systems like we do now. But these two objects are moving through the sky together, and they're really, really bright. Now, mm. um, let me see if I can find that while we're talking about it. And uh, yeah, 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 you have to understand that these objects might have um, been in formation, flying together in the sky. And the thing that I like about this case is that it doesn't, it does not have any kind of signature of an astronomical object of any kind. Okay. When we see things in the sky that seem to be moving through the sky, they're either satellites or they're meteors, right? And these objects will do one of two things. They'll either move through the sky and move relatively slowly, satellites, or they'll move very quickly through the sky, um, meteors. But satellites don't move as slow as these things. Uh, uh, don't move. They don't move as fast as these things did. And a meteor that low in the atmosphere to be seen during the day would be something burning up in the atmosphere, being sunlit. You'd see smoke trailing behind it. It would leave a trail. And we didn't see that at all. Right. Right. And at the time, there wasn't a whole lot of space junk to reenter the Earth's atmosphere. So and that also would have left a trail behind it of smoke. Uh, from Do you think that was up. like in the 1950s? <clears throat> yes, it was. Yeah. Nick Mariano. Mariano. M A R I A N O, I believe. Maria, no. <laughs> Try that. Yeah. Well, that is. Uh, waiting. He's yeah. a your sponsor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I thought I could find it, but I mean, I have watched it a number of times, and unfortunately, it's just not easy to get a hold of. So if, uh, if you want to check back, anyone wants to check back, I'll try to put them in, in the notes if I find it. But yeah, um, I do remember that. And there was a similar one too off of uh, the island of Catalina, Catalina Island off of California. A very similar one. Do you remember that? Um, Filming of, uh, I think it was another formation of UFOs. I'm and trying to remember. A long time ago, also. That, I, I, I don't. Anyway, remember. I'm not going to bother to try to look for that because I can't find this All right. Marino one. Um, Mariano, yeah, no, I, I Mariano, I mean, yeah, right. I'm trying to find it too. I can't find it, um, which is odd because 
I uh, found it like immediately when I was looking for it uh, the other yeah. day. Well, you know, the government erased it, right? Yeah, that's what they Oh, did. yeah, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it fetched your mind up there, you're in Tenant's Harbor. That's right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, um, yep, I, yep. yeah, we were talking about that. You can say, yep, when you're breathing in and breathing out, yep, they yep. do this. Yep, 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 yep. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Now, <laughs> are my, you familiar? All my cousins were from Maine. So, I mean, uh, anytime we went up there, it was just an argument about whose boat I was going to use when I was there for the month. Okay. Because you didn't use your car. You parked it and you left it. And we would take the boat to go from Port Clyde over to Friendship, Maine. And we would go to Friendship for dinner or, or get stuff. Uh, we'd go to the, my cousin's uh, general store in downtown Port Clyde. Uh, she since sold it to uh, um, uh, Linda Bean. Bean. Yeah. Um, Linda so, Bean uh, owns everything up here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, L.L. Bean. Yeah, yeah. And Here's, actually, yeah. my cousin's my cousin's house was right there on the uh, jetty. It's the house that's uh, right across the street from the jetty going out. That, that's Beautiful. The dock in Port Clyde there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really said, Port Clyde there. Yeah. 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 There's right behind me is a scallop boat. I've been oh, yeah, looking at that all winter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's a question. Um, Forshaw wants me to ask you about the Swedish winter clip from 2012. Are you familiar with that one? Uh, Swedish winter clip. Um, no. Let me look that up. Because So uh, um, I, I'm going to ask this if anyone wants to do something like uh, ask a question about that. Um, if you can find a link and post the link at the same time, I'd be able to pull it up and look at it. Um, so, uh, Jay Allen, you are asking if the Virginia, uh, video is out. It will be out within a couple of months. Um, I did see the screener. I do believe. talking about the Norwegian spiral video, wasn't he? Oh, the Norwegian spiral video. That's a failed launch, right? Is that? Yeah, the one? actually I called that, well, upon seeing it, I called it as a failed rocket launch, probably, uh, a ballistic missile launch from a submarine based on where it was. And everybody just, just roundly criticized me and called me an idiot and all these famous choice words, which I laughed at. And two days later, uh, it was announced that indeed it was a, a rocket that had to get blown up, uh, launched from a submarine. Um, yeah. And um, guess what? I never heard anyone say, gee, I'm sorry for all those bad things I said about you. And I had to laugh because you know, <laughs> they're always quick to criticize, but then they go and hide in the dark when it's time to apologize, right? Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Well, you're doing uh, the good work of uh, someone that is really, you know, keeping uh, everything clean in a way. You know, I mean, there are so many times when you could certainly jump to conclusion about something. You know, yeah. I I yeah. always appreciate it. Uh, I just got to tell everyone this. I think it was uh, 2017 or something like that when we were both out in phoenix was that the year i had uh, uh yes I, I had drove all the way to phoenix from maine <laughs> and gosh, uh somewhere so, out in the desert so <laughs> I, I was taking a picture of the desert and i got the picture and i'm looking and there's a disc in the picture and so I showed it to you on, we were sitting around in Phoenix and I showed it. I said, what, do, what do you think of this picture right here? And you're looking at it and you're looking at it really close and you say, it almost looks like you have something on the window. 
So I went to the car like a little bit later on. I went to the car and sure enough, there was a little piece of grass on the window on that was stuck to it at an at an angle that yeah. very Sorry much killjoy, worked pretty but good. It, uh, I'd uh, rather know. And I, I think, you, you know, uh, I think most people would rather know. I, 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 think I would that, hope so. In, in general, I think that's right, Martin, because, um, you know, again, I don't know everything. I don't know all. And I don't ever really try to say uh, this was definitely this unless I really know it was definitely something. OK. Um, or unless it's so obvious that it's something we've seen many, many times that we know is a certain something. Uh, so I don't often make definitive pronouncements about something because that's, you know, I don't want to be accused of being arrogant about this stuff. It, it you know, as a, as a science guy, um, typically I'm already fighting against the nature to, to uh, not be arrogant about it. Right. I mean, science can be arrogant at times. And, um, there's a lot of people that say, well, if it doesn't exist, if I don't see the evidence, it doesn't exist. Well, I'm not one of those guys. I mean, I've had things happen to me I cannot explain. Right. And they don't fit science. So does that mean there's something wrong up here? Oh, maybe. Okay. But it could also mean that I experienced something that is not in our current understanding. And that's the way it is. That's the way life is. You know, we have to be willing to accept those possibilities. And that's exactly what I think I, I do. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I, do you and think I that, all right, I used do to be that arrogant guy, by the way, well, let's just, let's just throw this out there. Sure. Neil deGrasse Tyson sees a dog on the floor. It's from another dimension. He steps through it and falls. <laughs> your your really weird situation you had yeah that if something like that happened to someone like him if some of the things happen that have happened to you and i know these things have happened to you mm. um very strange yeah. things um how do you think someone like him that has an affront to he's uh you know mr i'm the ufos mean nothing and you know all this type of thing. Well, let me uh, let me correct a little something there. I mean, you're right about that, of course. But one of the things that I want to mention was, um, if Neil deGrasse Tyson was so against or uh, so um, um, taking offense by UFOs, say, or taking offense by the lack of scientific evidence for UFOs, then why did he ask me for a LinkedIn connection? Okay. Um, Clearly, I do what I do. Clearly, he's keeping his pulse on it without actually saying anything. He's lurking, right? Obviously, who wouldn't? It's the right thing to do. So I know that, you know, I know that that's something that is a very important thing in academia is to not allow yourself to be blinded by your own science. And I think that in the past, I think people have accused him of being blinded by that science. But I think that he's he's understanding there might be more things out there that we don't understand. And that's well, as much as we yeah. can expect. Right. Right. So and I wanna I, I wanna just that. pull this up here because I think it's interesting. Okay. The Australian Melbourne UFO photo from nineteen sixty six is compelling and I believe I have that image. Was that in uh was that in James Fox? Yeah. Uh and I've 
I think this is one heck of a photo, and I want to know your opinion of that. Right away, the first thing I would say is, where's the rest of the photo? Because That was just a one-off Polaroid. Yeah, and that's the photo from the Polaroid? That that photo is is from the Polaroid. That is a Polaroid, and James Fox in The Phenomenon showed the original Polaroid. Okay. Um, right off the bat, what I would do is, uh, you know, I would analyze the reflections in that object mm -hmm. and try to figure out what colors, well, I could easily figure out the colors, I guess, that are in that reflection and then look at the ground objects and see if there's anything in the ground objects that could, uh, be responsible and try to, if possible, get a scale for anything that might be in that reflection. And that would tell us how far away it is because that could be something uh, somewhat large that's farther away or something very small that's up close. Um, that's now, true. The entire photo is a little bit blurry and it looks like the object and the house in the, in the photo are about as blurred. So uh, it could not have been moving too fast, especially if it's a Polaroid. Now my son collects Polaroid cameras and I have them upstairs. He's several kinds. And there's someone that actually collects Polaroid cameras. Yeah, my okay. son. He All actually right. collects a lot of cameras. Okay. Yeah, and he's uh, a film film. Uh, oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and, and mm -hmm. knows an awful lot about them. Yeah. And he knows he would be able to look at that photo and tell you whether a Polaroid camera of whatever type that is said to have taken that picture could have produced that picture from an object moving fast through the picture. I think not. I think it's something that was either moving relatively slow or stationary. So I think, I don't know. yeah, I'm trying to remember uh, James Fox did it when he was in Australia. He met with this gentleman that held up the, the picture yeah. and all that. And he tells the whole entire story. He was working in the garden, and that's all I remember. I don't remember any other details. Okay. But it would I don't be... remember from the phenomenon. I, I know that, you know, your friend of mine, Lee Spiegel, worked on it together with James and um yeah i don't remember uh the details of that particular case there yeah you hear the you hear the crows in the background here? i do there's it's the weirdest thing you'd think this place would be full of seagulls but it's the crows are eating crabs and i'm, I'm just unbelievable yeah yeah yeah, yeah. taking over yeah. wow so um let's see if there's uh so you know, yes they're I wanted to mention before we go much further, um, yes. you know, in our live observatory, SkyTour live stream. Oh, yes. I wanted to talk about on that. On YouTube. Yeah. Um, that's the East Coast Observatory there that's being rehabbed and refurbished. And I'm going to be putting into a new building out here. But out in Arizona, we have an active building out there. Well, uh, Sunday after our, our radio show that goes from 6 to 8, we're going to move right into a lunar eclipse stream and we're going to actually stream the lunar eclipse live. Um, now it'll already be well underway by the time we get in, but just keep this in mind. Last time we were looking at the moon during a lunar eclipse, we're one of five groups on the planet that actually caught a meteor strike the moon during the eclipse, right at the height of the eclipse, right in the red spot. You see it. Boom. Oh, me, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. That and is so time, awesome. At the time we didn't know what we saw. So we let it go for the time because we figured, okay, we're going to research that when we're done. And by the time the stream was over, we had already found out that indeed it was a meteor that struck the moon. So we always have this, we have a 
phenomenal Skytor live stream family. And they just start researching and doing things. And they found out an awful lot about it before we even finished the stream that night. So that was pretty awesome. You know, these are good people. But uh, so we tell, know, tell, tell the listening audience how they can get there uh, for this coming event Saturday, yeah, yeah. you said? Yeah. 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 See, we're, we're live on YouTube on most clear nights out in Arizona. I'm in Connecticut, but I control it from here. Um, and uh, I use literally almost all free software to do it. So if anyone wants to learn how to control something long distance, you can do it for free, almost free. I think that's pretty cool. Um, but um, we're on uh, YouTube and the channel is called Sky Tour Livestream with with this guy right here, Mark D'Antonio right there. That's me. That's a weird name. I never realized it's my name, but it's my name. And so Sky Tour, Sky Tour, one word, live stream with Mark Antonio. Sky Tour live stream, we'll find it. And just subscribe and join and come on in and and, and just watch. And we've got well over five hundred or five hundred plus by a long shot uh, past streams up there that we've done of the night sky. And our sky out there is so dark. That it mm -hmm. literally, when I first saw it, and I'm not, I'm not too proud to say this. When I first saw it, I literally started crying. It was so beautiful. It was dead calm, dead quiet, and all that was over me was this velvety, beautiful sky with beautiful pinpoints of stars and Milky Way. And I was like, huh. It literally takes your breath away. And we have yeah. one of the top instruments in that building looking up at the sky every time it's clear and getting imagery and is just unbelievable. We get in, in 10 to 15 to 20 seconds, what it takes sometimes 10 to 20 to 30 minutes to get elsewhere. We can get things. Really? Oh so, yeah. Yeah. So most of our exposures, we actually <laughs> will do anywhere between uh, five and, and, and 15 objects a night, you know, and taking long exposures of 20 seconds on them. And then stacking them one on top of each other like an image sandwich to make them much more clear. And in 20 seconds, I mean, how long does it take to get 10, 10 images, 10 stack, 10 stack images, 200 seconds. So in the time it takes to say what I'm saying now, we'd almost be done. <laughs> so it's really cool. We almost don't have time to talk about the object, but I do every time. And, you know, I, I say, OK, this is a planetary nebula. It's remains of a, of a star that has died. And uh you know, the green, greenish blue colors because of this, the red colors because of that, you know, talk about the elements and the periodic table. But, you know, we talk about it in a way that makes people understand it. Right. And yes, we, you do. Know, I've, I've been in that. I've yeah. been watching a few times and yeah. we've said hi to each other a number of times. Yes, but, we have. You, you're, yeah. you're, you're a wonderful patron. And, um, and the, the thing is when, you know, uh, last week or two, we've been looking at a supernova that occurred and it's occurred in another galaxy. Now, this galaxy is tens of millions of light years away, which means that the supernova, which showed up in our telescopes um, on just one on one particular night, that light took millions, tens of millions of years to get here. Yeah, it actually left before the dinosaurs died from Amazing. that location and made it here. Uh, <laughs> you know, so hard to it. fathom things like that. Yes, well, the universe is a great big time machine, isn't it? We mm -hmm. look back in time yeah. all the time. I think of that all the time when, when yeah, I'm, I look out. Machine. Yeah, what we're seeing. And are we, let me ask you a couple of astronomy questions because I've always always enjoy uh, picking your brains on things. How, uh, how close could a 
uh, let me say it again. How close would a supernova, um, probably depends on the size of it, um, that would could happen, that could affect us, could cause us problems? Okay, now, first part of your question, how, you said depends on the size of it. Um, a star of a certain mass will go supernova. That's a star way more massive than our sun. But mm -hmm. uh, if a star went supernova that was within, say, four light years, five light years of us, then uh, we could be in trouble. And it might take four wow. to five years for that energy to get here to bathe our planet in you know, high-energy X-rays or gamma rays, and that could be disastrous. However, there is no star that can uh, do that to us. None of the stars near us are that massive that can cause such a problem for us. Um, now, we are orbiting the galaxy, and we do come near other stars at times, and we don't. You know, clearly we've gone around the galaxy almost 20 times since we formed here 4.5 billion years ago. Uh, and in that time, we've never encountered anything that was a Earth sterilizer event uh, like that. And that would be a sterilizer event. It would destroy us. So clearly we're on the plus side of the, uh, of the problem here. You know, right. the chance, and the chance wheel, we're on the plus side. So we're going. Um, I don't way, know before, if you before I forget. Before I forget, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah. I was starting to say that a Sky Tour live stream um, is going to be live this weekend, Sunday, if it's clear out in Arizona, which it usually is. We have 300 clear nights a year there. Um, we'll be live and broadcasting this this uh, eclipse. Now the eclipse starts right at sunset. In fact, out there it'll already be happening when the when the moon rises, but. We're going to catch it just after our radio show, which is going to be around 8 o'clock. So around 8, 10 or so in the evening, Eastern time, we're going to be focusing on the moon. And it's going to be already blood red by that point. Um, but you know what? That's the exciting thing. And then we'll watch it. You know, we'll watch the Earth shadow pass off of it on the way out. So oh, gonna, I can't wait. I'm going to try to tune into that. Yeah, we're going to watch and see if we can catch any uh, meteors. And I'll probably be live uh, before we end the radio show and i'll show the live feed during the radio show if uh, if it's clear and if it's cloudy it doesn't it doesn't matter we can still we can still do it if it's you know light clouds so that should be pretty cool i i have i don't know if you've ever heard of fraser kane yeah He's of course a, yeah so I've, I've listened to his show and i can't remember the whose co-host is she's a professor uh in chicago area i think Anyway, um, he's got a funny saying that he says, the universe is always trying to kill us. That's right. <laughs> and so there are there are so many events. But one of the, the reason I'm bringing this up, don't you think that there should be um, more um, some type of protection for incoming if we have something, you know, that is in direct line? And, um, you, you know, that... You know, this thing that happened back in Chelyabinsk, um, it was in direct line with the sun. We may not have time, of course, but yeah. don't you think there should be more? I mean, we invest in so many things. It seems like, you know, if we had a planet killer coming our way, it seems like we'd want to try to be able to, mis you know, misdirect, you know, redirect it. Well, you say something very interesting, okay? And that is that we need to figure out a way to survive, say, the big impact or whatever. Well, that's what the DART project is all about. DART is going to see if colliding with an asteroid will allow us to that's right. nudge it just enough yeah. to change its orbit. Now, the asteroid it's going to hit is not 
an asteroid that can hurt us in any way, nor could it ever. But it's a it's a test candidate. We're going to see if if colliding with this object can move the asteroid enough so that over time, given we have the time, we would be able to nudge a killer asteroid out of our way. So if so, it's just a matter of mass and how many dart objects we hurl at it in order to get it to move. Mm-hmm. So this would be kind of interesting to see how this works. Right. So we do need more things um, for sure. The Chelyabinsk uh, asteroid that came in, keep in mind that that was fairly small, which is why it was hard to see. Size of and, a bus. Hmm. Yeah, and fairly small is not necessarily dangerous, but um, the Chelyabinsk meteor did punch a 20-foot diameter hole in a frozen lake when it finally fragment finally reached the ground. Um, but again, keeping in mind that that, that hole that it made was just a fragment of the overall larger object. Right. Okay. So we get hit with larger objects many times per year, a number of times. You can probably count them on two hands, probably like 10 times, eight times, whatever, for a very large object. And they usually hit over the ocean. But I think they're also responsible for some of the mythical sounds that people hear. There was a giant sound heard over in England. And then in Nova Scotia, what was that these mystery booms what they might be are the sonic booms or the breakup booms of these giant objects coming in over the ocean and the sound just travels england How about that nova scotia i've and, and uh, you've other- heard people have been talking about those boom sounds wondering what they are uh, for years i think linda moulton howe actually does some stories on that you know the people that are hearing the, these boom sounds and no explanation never thought of it being carried off the ocean Of course if the earth is 73 percent water or whatever it is ocean um yeah most of them are you know 70 percent of them are going to land in the ocean right and keep in mind that these these explosions are occurring not at ten thousand feet these explosions are occurring at like uh, 180,000 or, or, or more, maybe 80 miles up, 70 miles So they can up. really carry in the curvature of the earth and all yeah. that, right? And the sound waves will be a lot, uh, you know, lower amplitude up there because there's not enough, not enough air to conduct the sound waves because they're like a compression wave through the air. But if they do make it, they're going to be a big, long, low boom. And that's what the rumbling was heard, you know, rumbling in England, rumbling in Nova Scotia. Hmm. Depending on the timing of when they were heard, you could kind of pinpoint where along that line the meteor came in. So if it was heard, you know, because air, you know, in the in air of a certain density, sound travels a certain speed. And if you can calculate how long it takes for the sound to get to Nova Scotia versus how long it gets to England and what time they actually heard it, and knowing the two times at the two places, you can figure out where along the line it happened. Was it right in between? Was it more toward Nova Scotia? Was it more toward England? And for instance, so you can figure out a substantial number of things just from the, the data about the sound. You know, mm-hmm. And the other thing to keep in mind is that we have underwater listening hydrophones in mm-hmm. our oceans. And these sounds, long, low frequencies, if any of those hydrophones pick up that sound, then those are hard data points that we'll, ha- we'll have. And who, and who monitors that- those well, the, the, it's a it's a U.S. Navy, it's a U.S. government. Uh, so would we ever? We would probably stuff. never hear about anything. 
most likely. Well, maybe, but see, the thing is, they would overlook it. They would say, okay, we just had this one spurious sound. Well, it's either geological, biological, or natural of some kind. They only care about listening for enemies, right? They have certain signatures for, say, certain submarines or certain warships. And they can say, oh, yeah, well, this, 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 this ship just left that port. Okay. Uh, okay. The type, uh, we got a, we got a, a cooler uh, submarine that just fired up out of uh, Murmansk and it's on its way into the North Sea, the Barents Sea. You know, so, I mean, you got all kinds of possibilities there. That's what they're listening for. They're not listening for whale farts, to be clear, <laughs> blunt. Okay. Yeah. Although those would probably sound pretty funny. <laughs> if I had to Just guess. like the way they sing. Um, Just like they sing, that's right. Yeah. Now, what about, let's shift gears a little bit. And, you know, you think about life out there, the possibility of life out there. I have that great book that you wrote right in the other room in there. Um, and what, what is the title to that book? It's called the populated universe. It's a, yeah, it's, it's my treatise on a subject that life in the universe may very well be the norm, not the exception. Yeah. Um, and, and that probably is. I, I agree with that. Yeah. That one statement, but let me just ask you your thoughts on, you know, we think about life on planets but what about moons like uh jupiter's moons europa something like that you yeah, know what i mean it doesn't I mean, have to be intelligent life but just plain life yeah and that's something we we will probably find i think in the next 10 to 15 years maybe um we also notice uh because of our planet hunting capability that um Proxima, Proxima B, the, the planet that's that the, one of the two planets that's around Proxima Centauri, 4.3 light years away, uh, also has a potentially interesting um, uh, characteristics that could foster life, perhaps. I mean, clearly the star is a very flare, it's a flaring star, so we don't, we see a lot of ultraviolet flares. But the sun in its early life was also a very ultraviolet-prone star, um, and it would do these flares as well. Uh, so that said, um, if we're looking at, uh, say, Proxima b, well, then we know that uh, Proxima b might actually be a, a, a planet that could possibly support some form of life, right? Um, now... Um, what was the rest of your question? Because I was. Well, I was asking. It doesn't have to be on a planet. No, no, no. Yeah, that's right. But, but, okay. But we we know of um, we know that there are planets with moons out there, other than our within our solar system. We can see evidence that there are moons around other planets in other star systems. So, is it possible life could form there? Yes. Okay. Europa, as you mentioned, Europa around Jupiter. Um, you know, we have Io, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto. Those are the four Galilean satellites that Galileo uh, famously used to get tried for heresy. Okay. And Europa is an ice-encrusted moon, and it has what might be, seems to be, a watery ocean beneath that icy crust. Yeah, it doesn't you have, know? like, volcanic, uh, like, ice volcanoes. Yeah, yeah. Water volcanoes. Geysers. Yeah. Of Geysers, H2O. yeah. Yeah, mm. and, and the Hubble Space Telescope was able to characterize that hydrogen and oxygen coming out of those geysers. You could see it. So what that means is if we have a uh, possibility that life in a sub-ice ocean 
on Earth could form, and we know mm -hmm. it has, and I'll explain that in a minute, then we know that on Europa, there's also a possibility that it could happen. Here on Earth, you'd never expect life to be existent a mile beneath the ice in Antarctica. But there's a lake, and some of your listeners are probably saying, I know the lake. It's Lake Vostok. And you'd be right. Lake Vostok has uh, been sealed off from the world above for thousands, tens of thousands of years. And this particular lake, uh, when they probed it finally, they went down. It hosts well over 3,000 different species of microscopic life. Amazing. And this, yeah. this lake has its own cycles. There's the carbon cycle, okay? That's very important for you know dead things. They, they go down, they decompose. The carbon goes back into the cycle and then starts anew into new objects, okay, into new creatures. That, that is something – cycles are very important. We have the water cycle here on Earth, right, with the atmosphere. Water evaporates, goes up, mm. falls back down as rain, fertilizes plants waters plants and then keeps on going over and over these cycles are really really important and it's not just water and carbon there's other cycles too there's a methane cycle okay waste products uh you know you have to deal with them and then make them not toxify the environment and that happens too so if it happens here then it could happen there that's my whole point see right and that's right. a very good possibility yeah you know so yeah. um and Lake Vostok is a good test case because uh, Lake Vostok is among the coldest places on Earth, if not the coldest. Mm, amazing. Yeah. yeah, and then there's many cases where life has survived where it just seems totally impossible. And Agreed, acidic and... The, the creatures, remember, the, the creatures in Lake Vostok don't depend on sunlight. There is none. So they don't right. make yeah. energy through photosynthesis like the sun-loving creatures do that like we are and plants are right they use chemosynthesis the chemical creation of energy and that's what life on europa or on saturn's moon enceladus might do now i th i've always thought that all living things depended on the energy originally originating from the sun um in the end they would because they they would the situation they're in would have been brought about by a flourishing of life that led to these other life forms that are microbial, for instance. Okay. Um, and that would mean that the uh, life that is in Lake Vostok might have once been at the surface when Antarctica wasn't frozen, but then over time evolved to a deep ice land, you know, deep ice locked lake. And thus the life forms uh, changed and adapted, okay, mutated and, ad and adapted, evolved to accept that environment and, and flourish in that environment. Certainly many did not, okay, but many probably did and have at least 3,000 species that we know of down there. That's a lot of species. That's a lot of creatures down there that, that have figured out a way to eke out some type of existence. Right. Amazing. Also, keep in mind that on Mars, uh, Mars is an interesting planet, too, because Mars has this atmosphere made mostly of carbon dioxide. And the Perseverance rover has this really cool little experiment the size of a car battery that is really, really interesting. And this 
car battery sized object undertook an experiment uh, by the nickname Moxie, M O X I E. And Moxie was the Mars Oxygen In Situ experiment. And what that meant was it was trying to see if it can convert the carbon dioxide atmosphere of Mars to breathable oxygen. And it was a wonderful success. What's that mean? It means that sooner or later, when we colonize Mars, we don't have to bring our air, man. We're gonna hmm. make, we're gonna make it from carbon dioxide, and that is something that I think is really, really important. Because you know, when you breathe out carbon dioxide from your lungs, well, what does that say? That says that we're gonna be able to recycle the CO two and make oxygen from that. Now you see, we're Pretty becoming exciting race, and that's gonna be the coolest thing. And on the South Pole of Mars, deep under on, under that polar ice cap, the South Polar ice cap, there's actually this large reservoir of liquid water. Why is it liquid? I thought we couldn't have liquid water on Mars. Well, you can at depth because you have the, the weight of the overlying strata increases the pressure at depth so that liquid water could exist. And this was found with an orbital radar mapping system. And this water reservoir could potentially house microbial life. Now, that would be kind of like the final vestige of where life would ended up, have ended up on Mars because Mars used to have a much thicker atmosphere right. and used to have water running on its surface, right? Yeah. You know that. Um, Had a mag magnetosphere too. And it's, that's a very good point. Um, and that's the reason why Mars doesn't have water on the surface now uh, in the end because – Mars lost its magnetic field, which is what you call the magnetosphere, correctly. And uh, the magnetosphere on Earth protects us from the sun's harmful radiation. In fact, it traps, the magnetic field traps particles from the sun that are coming to us, and it could spell cancerous disasters for us and rip us apart with its high-energy ultraviolet radiation. However, um, you know, some of it gets through, but most of it gets stopped, these high-energy particles, the solar wind particles. And that, those solar wind particles trapped in our magnetic field are what people recognize as the Van Allen radiation belts. And that's where those come from. They're actually our magnetic fields brought to visibility, essentially, through our instrumentation and because of the solar wind getting trapped in the magnetic field. Do you so, think there's a chance of, our, of us, uh, the weakening of our magnetic field? Our magnetic field changes, you know, and, uh, you know, you, you're, this is another one of those um, pseudoscientific things you see online. Oh, the Earth's magnetic field is going to flip. Whoa, no, the Earth is going to flip upside down. Does that mean we're going to see the South Pole star or the Southern star? No, it doesn't. What's happening is the same thing that happens to the sun every 11 years. Okay, the sun's magnetic field gets twisted up. As it rotates, the magnetic field lines get twisted up, and then they basically pop and realign effectively, and that creates the sunspot cycle, right? Hmm. Where it gets knotted up, then yep. it evens out for a while, then it gets twisted up again, it does the same thing. Well, you know, the Earth is is different only because the Earth is smaller, its magnetic field is different, but we do have cases where the magnetic field does wander. The North Pole that was magnetic north back in 1960, for instance is not in the same spot that it is in 2020, 2021, okay? But it's not like it's going, whoa, it's flipping like and it's going to flip overnight and everybody's going to die and all the buildings are going to smash. And Yeah, well, see, the thing yeah. is animals have had 
um, millions of years of evolution to deal with what is called properly geomagnetic reversal. And geomagnetic reversal has happened quite a few times. How do we know? Well, in the mid-Atlantic Ocean, that's where these two plates collide, right? We have these two tectonic plates that collide, and when new material is made and comes out and oozes out, as it cools, the iron crystals inside that rock form in a certain direction, effectively, based on what the magnetic field is at the time. And guess what we see when we do samples along that magnetic ridge? We see uh, magnetic crystals that say are this way and then this way. You know, and it keeps going back and forth over a period of you know thousands of years, and it takes thousands of years to for the switch to occur. So you see times when they're muddy and when they're not quite right, but then you have a distinctive, you know, predominance of this direction and then a predominance of this direction. So we see this geomagnetic reversal is a thing that happens. It's related to how the inner core of the Earth and the outer core of the Earth are moving against each other, and it does happen. But it's not one of these things that happens so fast that everything is going to fail and we're all going to die. That's just another YouTube Could, video. Yeah. Can, can we keep up with the technology and switching things over so well, we things would been. still work? We have been. You know, things have been changing. You know, you get an update on your GPS recently? You don't know, but it uh, did well, probably, you right? Do. You yeah. get internal updates on GPS. Well, it happens, you know, every every few years or whatever. You get a, a major update to your GPS and so forth. And maybe it's a quiet update, but you know what? We are. We're gradually taking care of it. We're gradually just following the magnetic field and changing accordingly as we go. So guess what? The geomagnetic reversal will come when it comes and we'll be there when we're there and say, I guess we're in it now. Or I guess it happened already. Uh-huh. You know, that's so to sweat about. We could be in the middle of it. Yeah. In fact, we probably are. You know, the the po the pole is shifting slightly, you know, every so every year it's shifting a little bit. And maybe that's the geomagnetic, but not the physical pole. The magnetic field is shifting a little bit. Right. It doesn't mean we're going to be suddenly exposed to the sun's harmful rays and the radiation belt's going to go away and the UV radiation is going to burn us all alive. Ah, you know, that that's not going to happen. Okay, that can't happen. Earth is you, big and it takes a long time to 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 happen, you know. Right. Are you familiar with slimes? No sun energy required? Uh, I think that that question is referring to um, we're, slime we're molds. Oh, the molds. Uh-huh. I think it's a slime mold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, eukaryotic organisms are called. And, um, and basically... Um, a slime mold, think of it as like a, 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 a colony, sort of a, a group of smaller creatures to, forming together to make a, a larger whole. Um, you know, kind of like, um, not quite like fungi, not quite like, you know, like a mushroom is a fungus, right? Um, but slime molds are interesting in their own right as well and uh, are probably related to how life started here. Actually, I talk about them when I do my uh, when I do the uh, toilet paper history of the earth. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That that is just so helpful to someone who has a hard time understanding numbers. And I think I th think I heard it that the human uh, most people can I want to say the human brain, but most people can understand about 10,000 
the number 10,000. Yeah, and, and then when it goes above that, we can't really uh, comprehend things. And just yeah. quickly, if you would, we're, I know we're out of time. We're going over time here. But oh, no. can you tell, tell, I love this thing. And when you and I first met, you were doing this. Um, tell what you do about the toilet paper. And I think you're going to reintroduce that or something, aren't you? I, yeah, I, I got a new, a new way to do it. Um, so here's the thing. Um, we, the Earth formed 4.5 million, 4.6 million years ago, billion years ago. So in that time, it's like, what's a billion? What's a million? And, and you said 10,000, but I, I, I say people don't have the ability to recognize basically more than a thousand things. As an example, when the Titanic sunk, 1,500 people died. Well, 1,500 people, people couldn't really imagine that so what they did was they put 1500 people on the docks where the titanic left from and took that picture and that sunk in i okay. see wow seeing the visual all right engages the eyes and the visual part of the brain and the intellectual part of the brain and you need that double stimulus um so um when i did this toilet paper thing i wanted to show people the scale of the universe and, and time so i had this 120 foot roll um of toilet paper and i ended up creating the um history of the universe uh, history of the earth uh, on it i started with the formation of the earth and led all the way up to the other end of the toilet paper 120 feet away uh with us in that room and um lucy australopithecus afarensis was actually a uh, uh a line that was about a pencil line away from the present day at that scale, you know, a little more than a pencil line. So uh, it really was a way to show people that, uh, you know, the earth history accelerated over time. There was a lot of nothing going on for billions of years. And then the dinosaurs came along and people think that's ancient history, but it's not. The dinosaurs were 18 inches, 18 inches from, from, from where we were at the end of that toilet paper dinosaurs were just here 18 inches away Amazing. And there was like 117 more feet to go see so um it really puts it in perspective you know dinosaurs are recent history not ancient history it's really something and you and i had a conversation recently when we were out in arizona mm -hmm. and that was um and we don't really have to go into it much but i want you to touch on a little bit you said the possibility if the dinosaurs didn't get wiped out, their brains could have been growing larger and larger, and they could they could have been in more of an intelligent species through evolution eventually, possibly. Yeah, wait, we're talking about the Truodon, the Truodon, T-R-O-O-O-Don. Okay, the Truodon was a, a creature that when it died, there was evidence that its cranial capacity was increasing. Does that mean it was getting smarter? Maybe say from like the dumbest breed of dog to the smartest breed of dog okay i mean so nothing like magical like they're about to invent nuclear power or anything like that but um because only dumb people invent nuclear power um but the fact is the truodon ended up uh, showing some kind of change that was interesting so that said um we speculate and that's all it is a speculation of course that maybe if if we if the Chicxulub impact or never occurred, then dinosaurs wouldn't have been wiped out. We would never have become the dominant species again, potentially. Um, 
And then what would happen? Would we be intelligent reptilian creatures? Who knows? But it's yeah. fun to speculate, right? Now, I love it, yeah. The thing that's interesting is 252 million years ago was the Permian period. And during that period, uh, creatures that would become mammals were dominant until there was this great extinction event, which killed 98% of life on Earth, probably from... Uh, large-scale volcanic eruptions that raised the temperature on the Earth by 21 degrees Celsius. Huge. In just a few months. Mm. That's huge. And no, you know that, that shut down all the ecosystems. Plankton died off, and that killed off many, many creatures. Uh, but some survived. And so the things that would become mammals basically went into hiding and evolved into smaller objects, you know, smaller creatures that didn't require as much energy. And then over time, when the dinosaurs came along, and well, those, that was actually the beginning of the age of the dinosaurs, actually, when the Permian period started and or ended. And then after that, when the dinosaurs ended, well, now those little creatures that would become mammals were still hiding in the shadows. And there was all these niches that opened up. Ooh, I can go there now. Ooh, that food is amazing. I can have that food now. Or I'm going to start doing this. Or look at that. And our oxygen levels, our oxygen levels are great again. Hey, we made the earth great again, right? So then they're going to go and they breathe this oxygen. They Off they go and they change and they evolve and they eventually become us. I know I left out so many things in between, but that's effectively how it was. So what it shows me is that in general, could we say, and I can't say this is true, but could we say that perhaps mammal-like life is sort of like the norm on a planet? Is that like a template? Because it was sort of like on its way to mammalian life back in the Permian. And then when the dinosaurs died off, it became mammalian life again, which is us. So that's that's a strong thing. That's a thing to think about. Not necessarily something to say and hang your hat on and say, that's what it is. But that's right. definitely but it could be a dominant. Maybe. Right. Maybe. Well, Maybe. Mark, it's been... Awesome. As always, it's always fun talking to you, whether we're on air or off air. Now, can you just once again throw how people can watch this on Sunday around sunset, you said? Uh, what time would that be Eastern time? Okay. Should they well, tune in? Yeah. Okay. Um, at sunset on Eastern Eastern time, um, let's see About now. Seven-ish, uh, seven-something. Yeah. Let me yeah. Uh, let me just look here and give you an idea. Okay. So the, the eclipse is going to begin, right? Uh it at uh, uh let's see seven seven fifty nine Arizona time uh no um sorry about that uh seven fifty nine uh ten fifty nine uh, Eastern time and the total eclipse will be at eleven thirty p.m. Eastern time and then uh, from there it just fades off uh, and and goes it takes the same amount of time to go on as it does to come off. Go out from behind the sun, or go come out from behind the earth, um, and this is a total eclipse. So we're going to see a blood a blood moon again. It's going to be a blood red moon in the sky. You're used to seeing a full moon at the full moon, but this is going to be a blood red moon. You could actually, you could actually miss it. You could wow. look for it in the, in the sky and say, "Where's the moon?" Wow. I saw one one lunar eclipse that was so so blood red that in mildly light polluted skies, it was hard to find the moon. Pretty cool. Nice. Well, we're going to have our telescopes on it. And that'll be uh, Sunday starting at uh, 8, uh, 8, 8 p.m., 8.05 p.m. is when it will start. But we have our KGRA radio show, Sky Tour Radio, 
which yep. is our astronomy show from 6 to 8 on KGRA, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And then right afterwards, we're going to go into the stream and join the stream live. Excellent. Well, I will put a link in the notes or a link in the text of this show. Awesome. I look right. forward to seeing everybody out there. You know, we just love astronomy. It's what we do. Yes. And uh, I love what you do, Mark. Thank you very much. And thanks Mark, for thanks. being on this show. Thank you so much. All right. And talk to you soon. All right, everyone. So we have Sean Cahill on next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky. Mm -hmm.